Welcome. I like hearing people's background as it relates to the military, especially because it then ties into what you do now. I feel like the, the best type of advocacy comes from that personal experience that you had. For the people who don't know, who are listening, he wrote the book Mission Transition, Navigating the Opportunities and Obstacles to Your Post-Military Career. We were talking a little bit before we started recording, and I made the comment that I thought it was going to be a book that I could just read through about somebody's transition out of the military. But instead, for me, it seems to be very methodical and really appeals to my details of 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 a how-to book. Each branch calls it something different. In the military, at one point, it was called ACAT for the Army Career and Alumni Program. It's now called Soldier for Life. And the Department of Defense even put a blanket program out there called TAT for the Transition Assistance Program, where I think that program is lacking while there is a lot of good information that is put out in the program, that information cannot really fully assist the, let's say, lieutenant colonel, colonel, um, 06 level person who is retiring from the military and meet the needs of the E3, E4 who maybe did that four year or eight year time in the military adequately. Because that person who was a field grade officer obviously already had, at a minimum, a bachelor's degree, whereas that junior enlisted soldier may not even have but a few college credits. And that's just the education piece. So there's a lot, uh, that, that's just a wide range of where people are educationally. Then finding that, that employment can be just as equally difficult beyond that, as you, you know, talk about in your book, it's more than just finding that ideal job or career. Was it maybe your frustration of going through that program that caused you to want to tackle this? Matt Lewis is one of the nation's leading experts in career transition for veterans and public service professionals. He advises veterans on their transition efforts and employers on hiring programs designed to successfully assimilate these valuable talent pools. He is the author of the award-winning HarperCollins book Mission Transition, a practical guide for veterans in transition, their families, and their prospective employers. He advises veterans on their transition efforts and employers on hiring programs designed to successfully assimilate these valuable talent pools. He is the author of the award-winning HarperCollins book Mission Transition, a practical guide for veterans in transition and their employers. Matt serves as the veteran transition assistance officer for his West Point class. He serves as an advisor to the boards of Your Next Stage and Soldiers to Sidelines, and actively serves several other veteran collaboratives around the country. During active commissioned service in the U.S. Army, Matt served in the Southwest Asia Combat Theater and in the 194th Separate Armored Brigade. During reserve commissioned service, Matt served on the staff of the Army's Office of the Deputy Chief of Staff for Operations, and commanded multiple regions around the country for the U.S. Military Academy's Admissions Office. He is a retired lieutenant colonel from the U.S. Army Reserves, holds a secret security clearance, and serves on the Service Academy Nominating Committee for his local congressman. 
Matt holds an MBA in Operations and Finance from the Kelly School of Business at Indiana University and a BS in Mechanical Engineering from West Point, and is a graduate of the U.S. Army Command and General Staff College. He is also a certified Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt, a certified project management professional, and holds the ASCM organization's certified supply chain professional designation. Yeah, there's a lot there, Tiffany. Let me try to unpack that a little bit. Uh, so first, let me talk you through just a, a thumbnail sketch of my career, and that'll provide some context backstory as to how and why I ended up writing this thing. Uh, so after commissioning, I spent five years active duty. This, these were in the uh, post-Bush 1, Clinton years, drawdown years, post-first uh, Gulf War. And I, I didn't see a, a huge future uh, when we couldn't even roll our tanks out of the motor pool uh, for standing in the military. I also had gotten married, married at the time, and I knew that uh, you know, further um, further time in the military would have entailed for the relocations. My wife was in medical school at the time and uh, would have not really worked uh, logistically for, my, for our family. So ultimately, I decided to get out. I used graduate school is my transition vehicle, but I stayed in the reserve. So I, I did another 16 years in the reserves, a number of different capacities, ultimately retiring almost a decade ago now um, as an 05. So uh, the, the background is both active reserve uh, and, you know, experience all over the, the Army. Uh, when I left active duty, I, you know, <laughs> to borrow your, your original term there, that, that this ACAP course, Army Career Alumni Program, was in its infancy literally administering your last five days on active duty was an exercise in the blind leading the blind uh, anyone that's been through the expiration of time and service process knows that nothing of value is going to get done in your last five days in service and that's precisely the way it was uh, and so we and i say we because i was but one data point entire generation of veterans that were experiencing the same thing were really left to fend for ourselves and so in that gap, uh, necessity being mother of invention, I just kind of created my own process. And over the years, you know, I began reaching back, understanding how difficult it was for me to make that transition and just helping out, you know, my, my peers that have been going through the same thing because it, it, this process I generated for myself worked for them as well. And over time, I got feedback, two consistent pieces of feedback, because typically they would land well. One was, you know, hey, thanks. I probably couldn't have settled as well as I did without this help. Two, you really ought to find a way to scale this thing. There's literally hundreds of thousands of folks that live in the service every year that are struggling with this same approach, And to which I would always scoff. I never considered myself a writer. Um, I got miserable grades. I got a D in English my freshman year at the academy, so I felt I had no right to be writing books. Nonetheless, fast forward you know, a couple decades now, and now I have peers that are leading a service where they and their families have devoted literally their entire adult lives in service to the country. And yet, in spite of the fact you know, that the ACAP program has evolved to be uh, TAP, SFL-TAP, and all of its various permutations across the services, these American heroes are still largely left fending for themselves in spite of all the improvements in the program. And so 
upon seeing that, that was really the, the spark uh, that lit the fire in me to really take up that advice they've been giving me all these years and finally start putting pen to paper. And the purposeful way in which I went about kind of documenting this process is exactly what you experienced and you're reading it, which is I intended to ha- for this book to be a practical guide from the standpoint of a military person, a field manual, something that they would implicitly recognize as a crawl, walk, run, step one, two, three approach, the exact same way that they experienced training in the military. And so that that's why it's it's written like that. I encourage them to you know, read a chapter, do a chapter. It's not a page turner, nor was it written to be. It's meant to help you find your optimal future state to prevent false starts and find full employment in the civilian world in a career field that is optimal for you. Uh, just a couple of points to, to uh, focus in on some of the things that you'd mentioned about it. The focus here, friends, is on a career uh, and why that's so important versus a job. And I'll contrast those two. Most people don't take the time and do the self-introspection prior to getting out to realize really who they are. They've been in this military microcosm for X number of years, pretty much all the entirety of their adult life, and yet to sit down and ponder the question, you're just, who am I and who do I want to be? It may or may not have anything to do with what I've done in the military, but it's important imperative that you tackle that first. I, I call it the who before the what. And why that's important, uh, Dick Bowles, who wrote What Color Is Your Parachute, did a study over the course of decades that found if you first focus on who as you make this career change, you will be successful 86% of the time. Whereas if you focus on what, what being, you know, what's my military occupational specialty and how does that translate to something in the real world? If you just focus on that, which frankly TAP does, then you're only going to be successful about 28% of the time. Now, you know, I'm no genius, but if I'm going to Vegas, I'm going to take the higher numbers, right? So, Focus on who. What are your personal strengths? What are your personal passions? How does that uh, relate to a career in the real world such that if you can connect those dots, you don't, you'll never go to work a day in your life. You'll go to, to play all day. Wouldn't that be wonderful for everyone? So that, that's really the, the key. Uh, the other thing I, I would say is um, you know, the importance on focusing on that. If you can identify a career field, initially coming out of the military that is an optimal one for you you will over the course of that career more than double your career earnings rates of retention and job satisfaction than you would have had you do the typical thing which most folks do coming out which is i'm just going to take a job just so i have a job just so i have a revenue stream to replace the same revenue stream i had in the military well that tends to result in a number of things and I, I'm sorry for belaboring the answer here, but let me connect this to why I think, you know, my story is of importance and to, to what I'm doing now. Here's the reality of folks coming out of the service today in this post 9-11 world. 53% of post 9-11 vets are going to be unemployed on average of 22 weeks. More than 60% of their first jobs are not in their career fields, and the time they spend in them is only about a year and a half. That while subsequent jobs, the, the tenure increases a little bit, they're still not, more than half of them are still not in their preferred career field by their sixth, get that again, sixth post-military job. All of that job hopping, it does nothing to help them, their families, or their prospective employers. It is wasted time for all intents and purposes. Worse than that, 
uh, you know, Rich Moran did a study. He said, you know, 40, 44% of veterans experience high levels of difficulty when it relates to reintegrating into civilian life. And that's all about this, this job hopping and uh, false starts. And why that's important is he says uh, that those vets are more than five and a half times more likely to experience suicidal ideation. And I, I would I would suggest that that is a direct correlation, and I've proven as much in a white paper you'll find on my website, as to why the suicide rate among post-9-11 veterans has more than doubled over the past decade. So, again, my story is relatively unimportant in that it informs a solution set to address this critical problem that our talent pool, our, our bands of brothers and sisters, are experiencing today. So, sorry, that's a long-winded answer, but... <laughs> I wanted to touch on this point. Well, but I like it. And it's, um, and I, you know, I like it so much. I, I kind of chuckled because I am, I have your book open right now. And I was going to ask a question about something, but you actually answered it. I'm, I'm in the introduction part of your book where you talk about those percentages of that 53% separating, um, and that 62.6% of the first jobs are not what you would choose for your career. And so I was going to ask you about that, but you, you, you got it. <laughs> you, um, and, and I appreciate that. Um, and I think, I think something that you said is very key as well, as it relates to finding that job, is that they look for a job. We look for a job. I did it too. I, I did exactly what you said. I looked for a job when I got out instead of a career. So, because my thought process was, well, at least I'll have something. And that's all that matters. And it's not all that matters. And I think it's important that we do what you said and, you know, identify who am I? What is it that I want? What do I, what, where do I want to kind of leave my mark in this world today and, and work on and focus on? But instead of taking the time to do that, we just grab the first thing that comes our way that we think we might like, or we just like the pay instead. Yeah. You know, it, another thing you mentioned is the lack um, of bifurcation of, uh, you know, segmenting the, the population between, and I, I don't know where the dividing line is, but those that are, are younger in their tenure in the military versus those that have been in longer. And so I, I've tried to address that, that difference in the book. So I call out differences and it's slightly uh, tweaked advice uh, for those that uh, are a bit, I call them career military professionals, those, those that have been in over 10 years uh, versus those that are, are less than 10 years. It's, it's a different solution set. And although uh, folks in the military would, leaders in the military would tell you that they're addressing it, by grouping those people in a different classroom, the fact of the matter is they're still using the identical uh, curricula to address the two. So truly, they're not. So, with that, then, if if you you know, if you know, in the dream world, of course, <laughs> especially after you've written this book, if you were to go into the DoD or just maybe even just the Army and create the Soldier for Life program for people exiting the military. How would you go about doing that to address, like you said, maybe people who have that 10 or 15 plus years in versus those who maybe did their eight years to fulfill that eight year obligation and exit the military or you know, wh whatever it looks like, whether it's 
Yeah, and even even maybe even a, a further separation of saying, okay, O O three and below will be with O five and below, E five and below, um, because maybe they have that education, but just not that experience. They didn't make a career. How would you, how would you, um, make that TAP program a more well-rounded program to address more than just the. Here's how you write a resume and go get a job. Go and do good things. Yeah, yeah, it, Tiffany, it's a great question. It, it's it's a huge question, <laughs> and and one unfortunately, I don't think we it have. Is. It is. That, I mean, that's like a lot to chew. Yeah. So we. we yeah, that's a lot to chew off. 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 I know. <laughs> whole thing, but let me just say a couple things. So first, um, I, I've done a lot of thought on this, uh, and because you know my my book consists of a ton of ideas that in part answer that. Uh, I've also proposed, and all your readers can uh, find this white paper on my website that speaks to Suicide Alley in the post-9-11 world, and uh, a ton of suggestions as to, uh, to how to address it, which goes back to exactly the conundrum that you're referring to uh, within the waning days and weeks that individuals spend on service. One of my solutions in there involves the creation of, of what I'll call, you know, transition academies, for lack of a better word, uh, where folks literally spend their last, pick your period of time, last four, six months, whatever it is in the service. And, and that is your duty station. That is where you report uh, in you know, civilian clothes or whatever. It, it takes them off the rolls of their, their losing unit and, and puts them in a unit that's fully dedicated to, to their transition. The way it is today, you remain in your last duty station, and you have conflicting uh, goals, I'll say. You're still part of a unit that is fighting a wartime mission, and the commanders of those units aren't going to cut you any slack because you're looking to get out of the military in X number of months. Uh, So there's an innate conflict there. Uh, so you're not as free and as able to take advantage of everything that is out there and has afforded you uh, to include, you know, skill bridge, to include uh, hiring our heroes internships, uh, to include a full-blown curricula that would include, at a minimum, uh, my book and lots of other programs that are out there. Uh, so anyway, th- that's a – and I'm just scratching the surface here, but um, – that's a lot uh, that, that I would encourage for, for, for folks to take up. And a key part of that content, that curricula, would be education on the civil-military gap. Because in my view, that, frankly, is the biggest challenge that transitioning service members face. So let, let me just kind of uh, codify that for you a little bit, give it a little context. So civilians, and remember, friends, these are the folks that are, are going to hire you. They don't share and, frankly, don't understand your military experience. Remember that 99.5% of them have not served on active duty at any time since 9-11. Only 8% of U.S. adults are veterans. That percentage is going to decrease by a third by 2043. These numbers are going down, not up. Okay. Moreover, there's a rapidly shrinking percentage of leadership in the corporate world that has any military experience whatsoever. The Wall Street Journal pegs this today to be around 2.5%. So flip those numbers around. If you're coming out, sitting in front of uh, a civilian executive hiring for a certain level job, there's 
better than a, a 97% chance. They have no idea who you are, what you've done, what you can do as a veteran. It's entirely on you to do the translation and to, to put forth uh, your skills in a way that they can understand. And uh, today's uh, tap, as to all call it what you will, uh, you know, doesn't come anywhere close to, to filling the bill. So you have to take a course of study uh, well above and beyond what the military would offer you today to be successful in that. And, and again, that's in part why I wrote the book and why there's so many resources I've afforded individuals out on my website. I think the military as a whole, and this is not a hit on any branch, but as a whole, recruiters of all the branches go out into the world, find people of every walk of life, and turns them into, from what they are, into a Marine, a soldier, an airman, invest so much money in doing so, yet when it's time to exit, there's that same attention is not given to transition out of the military. Yeah. To kind of, for a lack of better terms, to turn you back into a civilian. Yeah, you're hitting on a key thing there. And I, it's exactly what I call out in this white paper I, I keep referencing on my website. The, the military is going to spend anywhere from, from 6 to 12 months turning you into a modern-day warrior uh, between basic and all of the follow-on you know, individual uh, training courses that you'll go through. As, you know, and then, then add on all of the education you get over the course of your tenure in the military, whether that's uh, coursework in the military or additional civilian study on the outside. Uh, all of that invested and spends, you know, five days. It, it, I mean, the TAP program is still five days, although you can take it multiple times and you can begin taking it up to, I think, 18 months now prior to the expiration of your time in service. So, uh, yeah, you, you spend all that time being socialized from a civilian into a modern-day warrior. And frankly, it, should, it would take you, should take you at least that much time uh, to uh, reclaim your civilian identity. But that uh, adjusted, that, that time frame is obviously completely abbreviated and not uh, sufficient uh, to enable that successful transition. Uh, I, there, there's many more detailed studies I quote in the paper, but that, that's absolutely right. You know, again, why this is important, you know, again, I'll go back to some of the uh, suicide figures I quoted earlier. So there, there's an immediate impact, right? If we, if we do this well, if we do this right, we're going to save lives, number one. Uh, in the course of saving lives, that is a good, new, good news message that gets back to those future warriors that are potentially going to join the service. If they get if they hear good news stories from today's veterans, they're more likely to join. And so in that sense, good goes around and there will be an increase in the future of the nation's security. So literally, the nation's security is on the line here. Uh, furthermore, I would say uh, to the extent that we do this well and there's uh, less input uh, and investment needed on all of these programs to address the issues that veterans experience, there's going to be the uh, uh, better allocation of uh, government 
within governmentities and and um, for for that matter on philanthropic activity on on the outside. Today, there's uh, I think of last count, well north of thirty five thousand. Uh, 501c3s or veteran ser- services organizations, um, nonprofits that have the word veteran in their vision or mission statement. Lots of good intent, lots of funding, but none of it kind of coordinated in, in a way that provides the veteran what they need at a point time place that, that they need it. And so uh, veteran collaboratives, not to get too far afield, but veteran collaboratives can help uh, hone that and provide those services. And in the course of doing so, uh, begin to help shrink uh, that that pool of available entities. So the, the outcomes beyond that impact, there will be outcomes such as increasing national productivity, economic benefits, obviously, for the veterans, their families, and their employers, and a, a reduction in veteran unemployment and underemployment. Uh, underemployment being, you know, you've achieved over the course of your time in the military you know, some amount of education, training, skills, uh, underemployment is not being able to utilize that portion of which that you would choose to utilize and optimally leverage in the civilian world. And, you know, latest studies show, you know, veterans are 30% more likely to be underemployed than their civilian peers. And I just saw latest unemployment figures from the VA. Those are starting to tick up for veterans. They're above 7% now, as I last saw. Anyway, the point is, this is a win-win-win value proposition if done well. And uh, again, a reason why uh, I, I wrote the book and why you'll find the voluminous resources I have on my website. Yeah. Um, one thing I'd, I'd like to maybe touch on too um, is, and it's in your book as well, um, that because I don't want to, I, I, I really think people need to read this book on their own because it is not just a book. It's a, it's a, it's a workbook. It's like a hardcover workbook as well. Um, so I think it's something that people definitely need to take advantage of because, I mean, it's, it gives that sense of personalization that is missing when it comes to uh, time to transition out of the military. And so, you know, one of the things that um, you uh, say in your book um Gosh, and I don't remember where it was, but you talk about how when you when you finish when you finish your book, it's more than just um, it's more than just okay. I've got I've I've got a career now, but it's also you know identifying who I am, what it is that I want, um, and and what is it that I can contribute to society because of what I know what, and, and what I want to do. Um, but one of the things, no matter what that employment looks like, that I have found, and I think many transitioning uh, transitioning veterans have found, is you know acclimating the acclimation phase of going from that camaraderie that we have in the military to... I think the, I think you worded it like it, you. We go from camaraderie to competition, and we go from being able to talk and interact with each other one way in the military that's maybe not as accept out on the civilian side. Um, how would you How would you uh, talk to people about about that piece about getting acclimated to a completely different 
environment, that civilian world? Yeah, again, a very loaded question. So let me let me unpack that in a couple different ways. Um, you know, let, let's start with the fact that most veterans, as we've already talked, really struggle uh, in in their transition. So why is that? First, you know, veterans they don't understand uh, Americans don't get military life. We already talked about some of those percentages. You know, the second is leaving the military represents a, a, a big time loss, and, and veterans frankly don't realize the depth of that loss. Think about it. You lose the awards you wear on your chest, the instant respect that came with it. You lose your rank. You lose whatever authority came with that rank. You no longer have, you know, UCMJ, the ability to bark orders, expect people to call them out. You lose the camaraderie of your peers. Uh, to 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 your point, that camaraderie, and a lot of times, is replaced by competition. Uh, you lose the certainty that you know chain of command poses for organizational hierarchy. Uh, it's replaced by more ambiguous environments in the civilian world. You lose a sense of community, built-in networks on your, your, your duty station, whether that's, you know, commissary, uh, hospitals, club system, what have you. Uh, you lose the expectation that those resources will exist anywhere you go in the military. You lose uh, some of the structure of your daily work, your daily routine, the, the typical references, processes, manuals, et cetera, you're, you're all used to in driving what you do are, are for the most part, going to be gone. Uh, even more tangible, you lose the tax-free nature of a lot of your allowances, combat pay. And so, you know, the loss is huge. It's really significant. And you're going to go through, you know, that's called the five stages of loss. So understand you're going to have to go through that. Uh, third, you know, the transition efforts we talked about, uh, you know, fall well far short of their goals. And we talked about the, the issues with the TAP program and the, the what over the who, et cetera. And then, you know, as well, we also talked about military organizations themselves and how they really don't allocate sufficient time for you to successfully uh, make that jump. And, and again, back to the, uh, the the issues we talked about. So, you know, th three things I guess I'd, I'd highlight in answer to your question. You know, one is... In spite of all of those issues, take heart. Understand that, that there is a place for you. Now, it, it takes a concerted effort on your part to do the work, to do the self-introspection, uh, to, to find that happy place, if you will, in the real world, to connect those passions, skills to a career field that, again, is going to, if you do it well and make that connection, is going to more than double uh, your earnings rates of retention job satisfaction. And, of course, in doing so, Understand that there is a tribe. We talked about camaraderie. Leverage that camaraderie. You have peers in the military. You have peers outside the military that are called veterans. And they want nothing more than to help you be successful as you transition. So network. And we're getting into yet another very deep topic in the book. But proactively reach out. Understand who those veterans are at your potential places of work. Uh, do some informational interviewing, do some job shadowing, get boots on the ground uh, as much and as early as you can to confirm or deny your career hypothesis. Uh, I've got my own personal story about that, but I, I can't emphasize that enough. And, you know, obviously use my, my book as part of this uh, and do it, you know, again, the crawl, walk, run approach, read a chapter, do a chapter. To your point around... Um, you know, what does success look like? And there's, there's a pyramid of behaviors that I, I talk about towards the end of the book. But the, 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 the precipice of that pyramid is about contributing and, and giving back uh, to the community of veterans. 
And interestingly, I've, I've been reading another book. It's called Life's Great Question. There's a couple quotes I'll just pull out of there that kind of foot stomp this thing about, uh, uh, well, career change, broadly speaking, and the value of contribution. So first, career change, just something to, to think about, some perspective to consider. Uh, the, the author says, the key is to invest more time where your talents will yield their greatest results for others. And that's a key distinction. The, the, where your talents will yield the greatest results for others, not dollars and cents in your pocket, although that's a byproduct. But focus on where your talents will yield the greatest results for others. The other thing that author points to is contribution. What is contribution? And contribution is the sum of what grows when you're gone. So when you, when you think about it in, in that sense, again, it's all about giving back, connecting your talents, your passions to that and in and, and a career field that exists in the real world. So I, I hope that answers the question. Let me end it a little bit. <laughs> No, it's great. This is what I love. Um, I really do. I just, <laughs> I almost feel like I'm a nerd in the sense that I, you know, because I keep on saying I love this book. Because I think so many times when people write a book or um, do a transition program for the military, it's very cook cookie cutter and there's not really a, a whole lot of thought put into it. But I really feel like you did an amazing job um doing the research that's needed one for you know first and foremost understanding the statistics of where we are and identifying that problem and then you come up with solutions of here's how we need to go about um fixing the problem we're not i mean we're not fixing the problem as a whole but you go about about this saying hey look you didn't transition very well not 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 at your fault, but here's what I can do to provide for you. Here's how you, it's, it's like what you've done is your book is that personal transition guide for any, any service member or veteran that picks it up. I mean, that's, that's how I see it. I see it as a personal transition guide of you are, um, you're definitely poured a lot of time and energy into it. And that's what I like about it so much. Um, because it, it does, it does that. It's like that. It's like my, it's, I've got, I'm holding in my hand, my personal transition guide to do what I need to do to become who it is that I'm to become. And that's missing in a lot of areas. Yep. And that's exactly right. I mean, service members, y'all need to realize you, you are coming out of the service with a great many skills and, and in a lot of ways. Now there's a lot of translation that's required and, and the book's going to help you with that, but understand you're bringing some some key things that today's employers absolutely need. You know, think about it, whether it's professionalism, uh, work ethic, teamwork, collaboration, oral and written communication, critical thinking skills, problem-solving skills, uh, being responsible. These are all things that you hit regardless of what your, your specialty was in the service. These are all soft skills that uh, you bring to the table that employers absolutely need today. Um, in making that transition, though, I'll just I'll, I'll add a couple more things here. The last couple chapters, you know, focus on the, the the various permutations of culture. I call them cultural dimensions. When you break down the way that the military is, the way that it acts, the, the way that things are done, it's culture, and it's based on values. Culture is uh, repeated behaviors, and those behaviors are informed by values. 
So one of the key exercises you need to do in coming out is compare, contrast the the culture of the military with the culture of the organization uh, that you you aspire to join. Now, this is probably one of the most difficult tasks you'll have because culture isn't something people sit down and write about. It's very tough to research. You're going to have to do uh, any number of informational interviews and, and job shadowing uh, opportunities to try to uncover some of this. But you know, when you think about it, you're uh, – all these cultural dimensions are going to smack you in the face and all simultaneously. I break down close to a couple dozen of them in the book. You know, things like the difference between the purpose you have in the military versus the purpose of the civilian organization, the difference in leadership basis, the difference in organizational structure, you know, moving from a hierarchy to what's typically a matrix in the civilian world, how the power basis changes from being more formal to being more personal. Uh, how training gets administered differently, how compensation benefits are done differently, how recognition and rewards are done differently, and on and on and on. There's, again, to the tune of a couple dozen different dimensions that are all different and are all going to smack you in the face right up front. And so to the extent you can do some homework ahead of time and get a beat on these things, it, it, your transition is going to be uh, that much easier to do. Um, and, and here's, uh, Tiffy, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll again reference my website and just foot stomp a couple things that your listeners can find out there. One is a voluminous amount of resources. So it, the website, by the way, MatthewJLewis.com, Lewis as in St. Louis, uh, you'll find, you'll see a resources tab out there that contains no less than 25,000 words. A quarter of the original manuscript is out there for free for you to download. Uh, and it all augments the book. The second thing that I'll point folks to are 25 free video courses. So I've, I've taken the book and parsed it out into 21 different courses. You all can sit there and just click through and watch the videos. Uh, and it, again, it's intended to augment the book, not take the place of the book. Uh, but 21 courses in, in bite-sized chunks to, uh, to help you walk through what you need to do uh, to get you from where you are to where you need to be. And I love that. And one one last thing I think I want to ask you, um, and, and you alluded to it uh, a couple of different times, um, is the suicide impact um, of, of the transition. Uh, because of the difficulties of our transition out of the military, um, I think we don't realize the impact that it has on our mental health. I experienced it myself. Um, I already had some mental health issues from my time in service, but then to um, have that culture shock of going from this comrade, because I turned 20 during basic training and I was in for 24 years. And so now here I am in my mid forties and I have to, I, and I know this sounds silly, but it's real. In my mid forties, I found myself standing in my closet, staring at my clothes saying, my gosh, I have to pick out my clothes because I spent my entire life being told what to wear, when to wear it, how to wear it. Um, and it, it, I think when it kind of, when you, when you're having to transition out of the uniform and deal with simple things like picking out your clothes or how to talk to other people in this completely different culture now, um, many veterans who would swear up and down that suicide is not a, a, a anything in my vocabulary now 
um, becomes part of my vocabulary and becomes a part of my thought life. Uh, so in, in your experience and, and what would you, what, what, uh, piece of encouragement as it relates to that, would you, would you provide for the listeners who might be saying that's where I am right now? Yeah. So first, just to echo back some of your comments, it, it is truly culture shock. Everything you just mentioned, the, the how to walk, talk, uh, et cetera. That's a whole new problem set that folks need to, that they will experience every single day. <laughs> you know? And it's, it's funny, but you don't think about it, but that's, that's exactly right. Uh, so to, to the point of your question, encouragement, friends, life goes on. And again, a couple things here. One, the real world needs you. The real world awaits. This is not an easy thing, but you have a tribe of brothers and sisters out here uh, waiting to support you. Uh, please plug into us well before your uh, exit uh, in, from the service. I would, again, encourage up to two years before. That sounds crazy to a lot of people. Uh, but literally take two years to do the homework and to work through the process and help you and your family find your, your future tomorrow. Take advantage of internship and apprenticeship opportunities like SkillBridge and or hiring our heroes, the U.S. Chamber's um, uh, effort. Do as much informational interviewing, uh, job shadowing opportunities as you can do. Again, get boots on the ground. Uh, confirm or deny that career hypothesis uh, such that, you know, where you land is the career field for you. They don't have all those positive benefits that I talked about. Uh, when you do land, uh, there's typically some sort of a business resource group in your organization. Reach out, join it, become part of that tribe, that community uh, of peers in the new organization that not only helps you from an acclimation and assimilation standpoint, but helps grow that community over time, uh, act as a recruiting tool and, and helps that organization in reaching out to the community and uh, you know, helping them be successful overall. Um, again, um, you know, uh, sur surveys show that, that what you bring to bear and the, the skill set that you bring is recognized and is valued. HR managers say that, you know, 90% of vets are promoted faster and, and 68 perform better than their uh, civilian peers. That's And I'm not trying to create an, an us versus them environment here, but just know that you, what you're bringing is valued if it's translated well and, and you assimilate well. But that's a ton of work, and, and a lot of that work is on your back. There, there's friends and resources here to help, but you still need to do the work. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate this. I, you know, I think my struggle has been, I have a million questions that I know you have a million answers for, and there's not enough time in the day or even to, to go through it all. Um, I really appreciate you doing this, um, very much so. Hey, glad to do it, Tiffany. And again, thanks to your listeners for listening in to the extent that uh, I can be of further assistance by you, reach out to me. Uh, again, website, MatthewJLewis.com. My contact information's out there. All about helping you and your organizations be successful at the end of the day. Welcome. Thank you. Have a nice day.